meeting and um, I welcome Councillor Howard Riles and Councillor Vic Ranger, uh, Vic Ranger back to the Cabinet, uh, Councillor Howard Riles to the Cabinet. Uh, I think you're there. Well, for your first meeting, Councillor Riles? Yes. yes. Uh, okay, welcome. Um, so, uh, before we go into uh, the agenda, I do have a member of the public who wishes to uh, make a statement as opposed to a question. Um, and uh, therefore, I call upon Mr. Ray Woodcock. If you can come forward. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. You'll need to speak to the mic and switch it on so that everybody out there can hear your words. And am I on? You are. Uh, thank you for the impromptu um, opportunity. Um, I'm Ray Woodcock. I live in Stanton, Mount Fidget, and I've been there for about 40 years. Um, I get a little bit involved in a number of issues. Um, within our village, um, and I must emphasize I'm not a parish councillor in any way. Um, Mr. Chairman, my statement concerns Lower Street parking lots in Stanton Mount Fidget. I will not comment on the number of parking bays or many issues raised at a meeting of Stanton Mount Fidget Parish Council, Maureen Caton, and Clark Ruth Clifford had with a number of UDC officers and North Essex Park in partnership on Friday the 7th of April. Ruth Clifford published her notes of the meeting on the 12th of April, a copy of which I was given. Um, it was given to me. Um, I helped to brief uh, both of them. As yet, um, UDC has not published its notes um, of this meeting. Since this meeting, the owner of Castle have installed at least two parking pay machines without planning approval. This is, uh, this is causing confusion with visitors to that parking lot, as some do not know which machine they should insert their, their parking fee, a Carson machine or a UDC machine. At least um, um, one visitor has had to pay twice for his park, uh, for, to park his car in the same parking bay and for the same period of time because he parked his car in a bay which the council owners claim they own. <coughs> they paid the UDC machine at 11.06 um, in the morning and a few minutes later the parking warden which the council employed told him that they had to pay um, uh, they had paid the wrong ticket machine and that he had to pay a second time at 11.14 in the castle paying machine. I witnessed this incident and have both payment tickets if you want to see them and retain. Interestingly, the car civil uh, people frequently park their vehicles out of bay as shown in the two photographs that you have there. Um, yet they do not receive a parking fine for this. This issue goes back many, many years and there is much evidence um, available to confirm this. I first raised this parking payment machine issue on the 8th of March 2017, e emailing Mr. Jackson. Nothing seems to have, been, to have been done to resolve this issue. If planning permission has not been granted for the council paying machines, why have they not been ordered to remove them? Um, to me, it seems very, very wrong to have two parking pay machines within yards of each other 
and owned by totally different organisations. This issue really does make UDC officers appear ineffective. Is it not time for action? And when will it be taken? Okay, thanks Mr Wilcock, and um, as I said, we won't uh, be specifically answering the question tonight, but we certainly will come back to it. Do, uh, I'll, I'll give you this statement. Yeah, okay. Uh, could you, thanks. So, um, I don't know whether you want to comment now, Mr Harper, in terms of the Planning Commission aspect, but uh, what I will... Well, before Mr Harper answers what he can say tonight, because obviously he hasn't had notice of the question, um, we are aware that the car park at Lower Street in Stansted is a problem. Um, and um, we'll get some clarification in a minute. But obviously, uh, the owner of the castle does own some land on that car park, which has complicated the issue. But what you've just described is an intolerable situation. Uh, Mr Jackson is doing what he can. We'll certainly get the notes of the meeting out. Uh, and specifically, uh, the points that you raise, we, we will answer to you. And can we put them on in the minutes of the meeting? This meeting? It's not of this meeting. But we will get back to you and publish the response. Yeah, sure, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that happened. Mr. Harper. Thank you, Leader. Yes, we are well aware of the, of the problems which are being experienced by users of the car park, and we are discussing with our legal team the best course of action to, to deal with this matter. It isn't a planning matter because we're talking about ticket machines in a car park. So um, it, there are other legal avenues that we need to, to explore to find a solution to the problem. So I think that answers one of your questions. It's not a planning matter, so it wasn't a question of planning permission. However, it is a complicated situation that needs some kind of resolution. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, so, moving back to the agenda, uh, apologies for absence and declarations of interest. There are none. Uh, the minutes of the last meeting, are there true record? Uh, true record, that will be duly signed. Uh, questions or statements from non-executive members of the Council? <coughs> Item 4, matters referred to the Executive. Item 5, Reports from Performance and Audits and Scrutiny Committees. Councillor Dean. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Uh, the <coughs> Scrutiny Committee gave an annual report <coughs> to last week's Council meetings. I don't need to go through that, uh, other than just to remind the Committee that uh, scrutiny is always open to taking on board ideas for investigation from the cabinet, so um, I'll, I'll leave that with you if, if, to see if you have anything. We, we are preparing the agenda, well this morning in fact, providing, preparing the agenda for the next meeting in June, um, but at any time if you want to bring anything forward, please do. What, um, what was interesting, one of the things we were discussing this morning was um, the um, probability of having further training development of the um, scrutiny process and working with the um, Centre for Public Scrutiny um, and purely by chance I, I received uh, an email from them this morning which was about um, their, it was a 
very short report on their, their annual review for 2017 and uh, I won't go through it. I'll just pick out one or two, one or two points. One, one thing it said was that the confidence, and this is obviously talking about nationwide, not about Huddlesford in particular, confidence in scrutiny's ability to make an impact is, is down by 8.5%. Um, it also said that uh, 6% fewer, and I don't know what, what, the, what it was previously believed that scrutiny's focus is member-led. There was fewer people think that scrutiny, the scrutiny process is member-led, so and, and that's something we, we may well need to look at here. Uh, top reasons that scrutiny isn't having an impact, and I'll just read these three and end at that. One said that all it does is rubber stamp cabinet papers. Um, the other one, and, and that's not just, that isn't the case here, but, but part of it is that. Uh, ignoring, um, the, they ignore the public's voice, so again, we, we might want to consider how we more take in, on board the public opinion. Um, and not addressing pressing issues. Again, that's about prioritisation. There are other things here and we'll be, we'll be looking at that. So really, I think that's the gist of all I have to report at the moment. Thank you. Okay, no, thank you. Uh, now, as with all aspects of the Council's work and uh, with the members who are involved, I think it's absolutely appropriate that we're fully trained and fit for purpose. So thank you. Um, okay, that brings us on to item six, discretionary rate relief. Councillor Can I declare an interest as Nessex County Councillor because I'm sure some of this has an impact on Nessex? Okay, noted. Uh, I call upon Councillor Howell and possibly Councillor Riles. It's just for a minute. It's on. It's no, coming on. It's on now. Do it now. Turn it on now. Thank you very much. Um, there is a slight amendment to the recommendation um, I'm not sure that everyone's received and that is that it says in the papers that you have in front of you that the cabinet is recommended to approve and in fact the revision to the recommendation is that the cabinet it recommends to full council that the following are set out in the main report of appendix A is approved the new discretionary rate relief for supporting small business relief and pub relief and B the revised criteria for local rural rate relief so the just for your reference, there's a slight amendment to the recommendation. Um, I, I'm going to assume that people have read this paper. It's a very complicated paper, and it's a great deal of detail within it. So if, you, if you'll indulge me, I will try and bring out a few points of particular relevance. You'll be well aware that the government's undertaken a national revaluation of all commercial premises. And so from the first of April of this year, all premises have been assigned a, a new rateable value. Um, and that has an impact, obviously, on the calculation of business rates. Um, the last time this was done uh, was in 2010, and it's had quite a significant uh, effect on local businesses. Uh, on average, business rates bills have increased in Uttlesford by 16% for most high street shops and premises within the district. In the spring budget of 2017, the government announced additional discretionary reliefs uh, which will be brought in under Section 57 regulations to support those businesses that face, that face a very particular and steep increase in their business rates. And that's part of the subject that we're going to be considering this evening. Um, now, just to give you uh, some background, there are certain various changes to, to business rates and how they impact 
Previously, uh, there was a floor of £6,000, uh, and if you had uh, a rateable value of £6,000, you effectively had 50% relief on that. And then there was a sliding scale between £6,000 and £12,000. That's been removed, and so the impact of that is effectively 100% relief for all businesses who have a rateable value up to £12,000. So the consequence of the change is that a number of businesses have been taken out of a rateable value. They no longer pay business rates. Nevertheless, there are still a significant number of businesses that are facing a significant increase in their business rates. There are some discretionary rate reliefs that we've had uh, available to us, and we have a policy which, been in, which has been in place since 2014. So the purpose of the meeting tonight is to talk about amending those to reflect the new discretionary reliefs and proposed amendments that are available to us. Um, uh, now, even with these amendments as proposed, there are still a number of businesses that are likely to struggle under the new rateable values. So the, the new discretionary reliefs, the first one is called the uh, Supporting Small Business Reliefs, allows for a new limit where the amount of rates payable each year to be the greater of the cash value of £600 or a matching cap on increases for small properties in the Transitional Relief Scheme. Um, and that means that nobody's uh, rateable bill is likely to exceed an increase of, uh, of more than £3,000 in their 2016-17 bill. There's also a pub relief for public houses uh, with a rateable value below £100,000 and they receive a £1,000 discount. Um, the impact of the revaluation is meant in total 12 businesses have now received rate bills of between £4,665 and £9,747, where prior to the revaluation they would have uh, received either the small business or the rural rate relief which they no longer qualify for. Uh, the paper then goes on to talk about a number of other um, businesses that have been adversely affected and the discretion that we have to put in place various transitional reliefs which would allow us over a period of time to, to, um, to phase in the change so people aren't hit by a significant and substantial increase. The proposal is that the uh, revenue team look at those businesses that have been adversely affected and come back with a full report for Cabinet on the 10th of July which looks to address those businesses that are adversely affected within Uttersford and not captured by the various discretionary rate reliefs that we're being asked to approve tonight. The details are set out in Appendix A and I think the intention then is therefore to bring back a report to July and then a further full report to Council for their approval. But the principal objective of this is to ensure that something we have limited control over, government effectively sets rateable values, we are able to design a scheme that suits Uttlesford and addresses the particular concerns of local businesses in Uttlesford and ensures that nobody faces a substantial and unnecessarily significant increase and are able to manage over the transitional period any increases that they may face. Thank you. Councillor Riles, do you want to add a the stage? Councillor Harker. Councillor Howell, during that mission day, you said that no business, small business, would pay more than £3,000 in 2016-17. I believe it's actually £600,000 and £3,000 because they were applied year. Can you clarify that? 
You're well spotted and you're absolutely right. <laughs> okay, so um, if I capture the summary correctly, uh, the significant differences from the revised scheme to the previous scheme, uh, some of which is captured by government initiatives, others of which is discretionary to the council, but it has funding from government to uh, fund that, and the actual detail in terms of business by business will be brought to a future meeting before it goes to council. So hopefully the impact on businesses and others will be day minimalist. Any other? Councillor Redfern. Um, I just wanted to um, point out that although what Councillor Howell has been talking about is the downside of this, there is actually for a lot of businesses an upside because there are a, n a, a number of businesses that will, would have been paying business rates and are no longer paying them. So while some are taking a heavier hit, there are a lot of smaller businesses that actually fall completely out of the um, paying any rates at all, which I think is a good tip. Good, thank you. Uh, and I think the other point to note is that whilst the government support to us as opposed to the businesses um, would probably cover our extenuating circumstances in 1718, that figure hearts in 1890. So we must be wary that uh, there is a future to this. Any other comments? If not, uh, I draw your attention. Um, Councillor Howell has read out the recommendation uh, as on uh, your amended item, the sheet of paper that's been given to you this evening, uh, so I won't read it out again, uh, well perhaps I will. Um, the Cabinet recommends to full Council that the following, as set out in the main report in Appendix A, is approved. A, the new discretionary rate reliefs for 1, supporting small businesses relief and 2, pub relief, and B, the revised criteria for local rural rate relief. Those, those in support? Carried unanimously. Thank you. Uh, we now move on to uh, the next item, seven. Councillor Barker, planning performance agreements. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Chairman, this item on the agenda this evening proposes that we offer applicants for major developments the option of a planning performance agreement, and that we authorise to the Assistant Director of Planning authority to do negotiated terms for and enter into planning performance agreements with individual developers. Uh, for this purpose, major developments are defined as applications for 10 or more houses, for a building over 100 square metres, or a site of over one hectare, as set out in paragraph 12 of your report. No developer can be required to enter into a planning performance agreement, but the process will appeal to many developers as it sets out a project plan from the stage of the pre-application discussion through to applications and discharge conditions and eventual planning application. Any application signing up to this process, any developer signing up to this process, is exempted from the current decision-making timelines. Chairman, I think this is an excellent idea. It's good practice being put forward, but I must stress that the creation of a planning performance agreement does not fetter the authority in determining the outcome of each planning application. I think it's a good way forward. We will have major developments having, um, from the beginning, a, a, a sure timeline for how things are going to happen, that they're not fettered by having to decide decisions. 13 weeks or 16 weeks, but it doesn't mean that we are going to grant planning application that will be subject to the normal controls, the normal checks and balances. The Chairman, I'm happy to propose the recommendations we set out in paragraph 2 and 3 on page 27 and have happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Before we go, may I, do I have a seconder for that? Councillor Howell, and I apologise, I didn't get a seconder for Councillor Howell's motion. Uh, well, I'll ask Councillor Bryles to second that. Okay, so for the minutes, yeah, okay. Okay, so Councillor Ranger. 
Yes, thank you, Leader. Um, when Councillor Barker was describing the, uh, the process, um, in paragraph 6, under the impact, um, the concept will be explained to communities to help it to be understood, which is, which is fine. We move on to paragraph 13. Once the PPA is being agreed and an initial meeting is set, the meeting is to identify both parties' positions. In the last sentence of that so paragraph says it will also be the stage where the local planning authority advises the developer about the involvement of statutory agencies, relevant community stroke resident groups and elected members. From then on, those, particularly those last two people, don't get mentioned again, so they're not involved in any meetings or representatives of those are not involved in any meetings, as I understand it, but perhaps um, that's to come later as the, um, the full detail of these types of agreements are put together. Um, I think this is very new to us, Chairman. I think the way this evolves, um, we could have a more detailed paper on it, but I would think that if one was looking at major developments, there ought to be scope for agreement for those parties to be involved in discussions. Not necessarily every discussion, but certainly at, at critical points in time. Mr. Harper may have more to add. Yes, I mean, it's normal when having pre-application discussions with an applicant to give them advice as to how best to engage the community in the preparation of their proposals. Um, it doesn't mean that community and resident groups would have, and elected members would have representation at meetings to discuss uh, issues as they are considered prior to the report on the, on the application being prepared. So I think you're, you're right to raise this point, uh, Councillor Ranger, um, because um, increasingly this council wants that trilogy for even fairly small developments of um, the developer, the planning authority, and the local community to be talking through, particularly in terms of uh, potential 106 agreements and that kind of thing. And, and we've already discussed the, uh, how that will be taken forward uh, by yourself and, and Councillor Mills. So I hear what uh, Mr. Harbour is saying, which is that there will be some technical issues, and, and this is advice is about taking forward the technical process. Uh, but running in parallel to that, uh, I think we need to constitutionalise uh, the, uh, the importance of the local community agreement. So perhaps we could relook at the words uh, as you pointed out further on in the paper. Anybody else wish to comment on this? Councillor Light. Yes, thank you, Chair. Yes, I would fully support that because at the moment it reads as though um, they're just involved for five minutes and then anything after that there'll be no more involvement and no further comments. So uh, I welcome uh, Councillor Ranger's proposal. I think it's very important indeed. Institutionalise that. Yeah, we must be clear there is a difference between community involvement in how the, how the thing might develop and, and, and what might be the consequences of that and the actual technical advice, which is really what this paper is about. There is, a, there is, a, there is an important difference, but I think the two things can be woven uh, together. Can I just ask a question here? Um, so, what happens if uh, an agreement is made and then um, it's broken. It goes out of time, whatever reason, or... Sounds like a technical one for Mr Harper, but I understand we can resort to the courts, Mr Harper, can't we? I sincerely hope not, Alina. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what it seeks to do is to commit the applicant and the council's officers to a project management approach. Um, now, unanticipated issues might arise which might cause the, uh, the project management plan to be uh, revised, but um, in principle, all parties should be striving to adhere to the timetable which has been agreed. I sense your question was more about if, a, if, if, a, if there was agreement, agreement, particularly probably a 106, I think you were starting to get towards, weren't you? Uh, actually, yeah, thank you. Any kind of contractual agreement, because... Uh, yeah, which is hence my reply to yeah. you. Uh, again, a difference between the advice that we're offering here in, in, in terms of the, uh, the contract with the developer and what might come out as a specific uh, confirmed agreement in terms of the um, consequence of the development. That'd be right. Th there would be a difference in the uh, What the parties agree to is to use their best endeavours to stick to the timetable and to uh, provide relevant inputs at the appropriate stage of the process. Of the process, but not necessarily the further on, further downstream in terms of the agreement around the development and, and what should happen as no, a result. That, that's a completely, that's different issue. A completely that's separate that's thing. Yeah, we need to just differentiate yes. between the two. Yeah, I think we're all clear on that. Um, any other questions? Mm -hmm. Okay, just reminding you uh, that paragraph two says to endorse the offer to applicants for major development the option of a planning performance agreement. Paragraph three, to authorise the assistant director of planning to negotiate terms for and to enter into planning performance agreements with individual developers. All those in favour? Carried unanimously, thank you. Item eight, uh, private sector housing strategy. Councillor Redfern. Thank you, Chairman. Can I um, ask Marcus Watts to join us at the table, please, as he's the officer for this and more likely to be able to answer questions than I Um, so this um, private sector housing strategy has, as usual with everything I bring here, has already been to Housing Board and um, Tenants Forum uh, on more than one occasion, I think, isn't it? Mark? Yeah. Um, and the strategy is partly formed in response to recent stock profiling and designed to, to complement the wider strategic housing functions in the Council um, and this links together the key objectives of UDC's housing strategy 2016 and the Council's evolving health and wellbeing agenda. Um, the key service priorities included in this are to raise the standards in private sector by encouragement and support to the owner-occupiers um, owner to maintain safe homes free from Category 1 hazards. If you want to know all the Category 1 hazards, I'm sure Marcus will talk through them. Um, it's to encourage, support and regulate private landlords and agents to provide safe and well-maintained properties free from Category 1 hazards. Um, you may be aware that we, did, uh, we have taken action against um, landlords where their properties are not considered to be um, the right environment or safe. Um, it's also to help older and vulnerable people remain in their homes for longer, maximise the use of existing private sector housing stock and enable more sustainable homes by increasing the energy efficiency and reducing fuel poverty. Um, and much of these things we have different, we can um, take people to different places to um, acquire loans um, and grants to, to help them with this. 
So um, obviously we're happy to answer any questions, but my um, recommendation is that the Cabinet is requested to approve the private sector housing strategy as attached Appendix A to this report and for it to be implemented with effect from the 1st of June 2017. Thank you. Do I have a second there for that? Councillor Ranger, thank you. Comment, Councillor Ranger. Uh, thank you, Leader. Um, there's only one small comment I want to make, and that's regarding paragraph two of the summary mm -hmm. on the first page. Um, when the first line reads, outlines the council's plans to meet people's housing needs by maintaining and improving the existing private housing stock. No, we're not doing that, surely. We're encouraging the maintenance and improvement of private housing stock. We're not doing it, per se, but we are actually encouraging people to look at ways of where it should be. Well, I think what we're saying is, saying is maintaining the standards that we've already got across the district, not that we're out to maintain everyone's home. No, but it, it's the wording just yeah. not quite there. Councillor Dean. Mine is um, a question. When I, I saw the, the table on page 41 and the paragraph 1.8, which, if I'm reading it correctly, says that people suffering from excess cold um, is, I don't know, twice the rate in, I think it's the east of England. I just wonder whether we know why that is. Um, because uh, I know we have, for instance, listed buildings around here which leak, but uh, um, uh, I'm just concerned that it's the case and if we understand what it is and therefore what needs to be done. Um, Mark, did you want to respond to that before I go to Councillor Howell? I know he's got a theory as well. <laughs> yes, uh, for sure. Um, the, the BRE stock profiling takes into account a number of factors uh, and a number of detailed information on poverty age and uh, levels of insulation, um, type of glazing, type of boilers that might be in there, all sorts of statistical information that they've gathered as a result from the 2011 census and various other bits of information that they've managed to pull together to make that model. So that is, these are just outputs of that model, essentially. So we assume it's because the, we assume it's because the general age of the housing was just a lot older and more uh, development and dwellings. Uh, but uh, also there's a lot of people on uh, oil and not to the uh, main gas line, um, and uh, but we will find out a bit more as we approach these and target these properties because this, this stock profiling allows us to highlight properties that are down at street level. So when we do this targeted campaign, we're going to get a lot more information on the property uh, and details of the spec of the property as we go and investigate and explore and approach people. Thank you, Councillor Howell. Okay. Thank you, Leader. Um, I draw members' attention uh, and, and Captain Dean's attention to 2.2 on page 44. Uh, I represent the Sanford's Ward, and I know that for excess coal, the highest concentrations are in the village of the Sanford's. The highest concentration of all hazard, hazards are in the Sanford's, along with Wendell's Lot and other ladies. And not only that, but also the largest number of tripped and uh, fall hazard, hazards are in the Sanford's. And I know the reason for that, and that is because we have probably the largest
largest number of very old properties. I was an exercise. Added the number of thatched houses within my ward. My ward was 75 and gave up, and I could have carried on probably for another, another 20 or more. I think of all the wards, I have the largest number of listed properties. Um, the owners of these properties um, take their responsibilities very, very seriously, and we have, I think, probably the prettiest villages in Uppsala as a consequence. Um, but as Mr. Watts has said, it's a consequence of having old houses that you have. Um, very cold houses. I live in one myself. It's a beautiful this time of year. I promise you, in the middle of February, it's pretty chilly. Um, and similarly, I've got various levels, um, and the road and floor surfaces are not remotely level. Um, uh, and so all of these things together have a, have a factor. I think we need to remind ourselves also, I've said this before at the cabinet meeting, I've never forgotten knocking on somebody's door eight, ten years ago when I first started to represent the Sanfords, and an elderly lady said to me that paying her capital tax was the largest single uh, item of expenditure that she paid per annum. And for her, it was the choice of paying her capital tax or eating her house. And we keep in mind, we keep saying that we're a wealthy area. For many, many people, we are not that wealthy, and there is real fuel poverty as a consequence. And we need to remind ourselves when we set our capital tax bills that it is a very significant item of expenditure for many, many people. So I welcome this report. I re welcome the, the efforts we're going to make. But I, I, I think that there is, that it reflects actually the fact that Uffensford has some real particular challenges that are particular to the area and particular to the housing stock. Um, and it brings with it some very significant challenges for us as a council. Thank you, Councillor. Sorry, Councillor Redfern. Um, I think it would be really useful if all members um, were aware of what we have on offer here to, for their wards because exactly that sort of situation is something that if it was highlighted to, to Marcus and his team it may well be something that we can take people in the right direction for the um, loans and grants assistance that we, that we now have available. I think we are doing a, as you say, we do have a lot of these properties in this district, but I do think we have got a good team that is working proactively to try and address this um, situation. You're coming on to your next item. Uh, but um, in, in terms of, you were absolutely right to draw the consistency between the health and wellbeing paper, which we're going to hear later, uh, and some of the uh, key graphs in this paper. Um, and without repeating the points that have already been made, um, clearly, uh, you know, nearly 20% of people uh, suffer from excess cold and uh, over 20% of dwellings uh, suffer from fuel poverty. So um, th th these are important statistics that we need to um, continue to address. Okay, there aren't any. Councillor Light. Thank you, Chair. I'd just like to pick up on the point that's being made about low income because it's a concern. I had also noted this, that the Council will... Uh, changes policy to include grants, offers and loans. And I think that if, if people are struggling to pay the large amount of council tax, or then it would be very difficult for people then to take out a loan uh, in order to improve their housing. So I think this needs to be taken into consideration. Thank you. We do start to cover a bit of this actually under item 9, the Home Repairs Assistance Policy, so uh, perhaps we might come back to that point. Um, <coughs> 
Okay. Um, the recommendation has been read out by uh, Councillor Redfern. It's been seconded. Those in favour? Carried unanimously. Thank you. Item 9, Home Repairs Assistance Policy. Councillor Redfern. Thank you, Chairman. Um, this report seeks Cabinet approval for the new Homes Repairs Assistance Policy. Um, this um, policy has been looked at, it hasn't been significantly changed since 2003, so um, we're now um, taking into consideration problems identi identified through the recent stock profiling that Marcus referred to and um, the growing evidence that links poor housing with health impacts and associated costs to the NHS. Um, the links with the council, and again, links with the council's health and wellbeing strategy. Um, it's aimed at offering support and assistance to vulnerable people living in substandard accommodation within our district, and the policy outlines all housing assistance, ranging from loans to bring empty properties back into use, um, to the provision of disability facilities grants. Um, and I would also like to just say at this point that um, Craig, our empty homes officer, is um, one of the most tenacious people I've um, come across. He does do an extraordinary, extraordinary job. I think I did mention that at full council, so I won't go on. Um, this policy gives priority to the safety and security of older persons and other vulnerable groups to, um, living in their own homes, reducing the cases of fuel poverty, reduction of Category 1 hazards and the associated health-related benefits, um, major ad adaptations for people with disabilities, the reduction in the number of non-decent homes, um, primar primarily with loan assistance, and the reduction of empty homes, the improvement of the thermal efficiency of the housing stock, um, and then there we have a list of various loans that can be um, provided. Um, I won't read them all out, but there are lots of different things that we can do, up to, uh, to £50,000. But some of this um, may be, I think Michael will correct me if I'm wrong, but some of this I think is a loan that's actually not necessarily repaid until the property is, is sold at a later, a later date. So we wouldn't be, I don't think we're doing anything that would make people um, worse off than they are if they couldn't, if they were um, show not to be able to afford to do that. Um, so I would like, I request um, that the Cabinet um, supports the recommendations to approve the new Home Repairs Assistance Policy 2017 as attached Appendix A to this report to be implemented with the effect, with effect from the 1st of July 2017 to approve the transition arrangements for customers who are dealt with under the existing policy that will ensure applications submitted prior to the 1st of July are honoured in accordance with the former policy conditions. Thank you. Do I have a seconder for that, uh, Councillor Ranger? Councillor Parker, thank you. Um, thank you, Chairman. I'm particularly interested in the, the Park Homes grant and this now, we're, we're talking about the private sector and it's quite easy for us to communicate with our tenants, much more difficult to communicate the private sector out there, and I wondered how we were going to go about advertising the availability of these grants, particularly to areas um, such as Tekki, which do have um, a large number of park homes. It was. Well, essentially, the, uh, following the approval of this policy, we're going to look at a campaign. So we're going to decide on uh, a, an approach which will take the most vulnerable people first. Um, we also, I mean, we, we, have, we do license that part, 
Um, so we know how many problems are, are there. Um, and it wouldn't take much to advertise the extent of this policy uh, to those, those, those uh, residents at all. Um, so there is quite a lot we can do. The idea of the top the loan here is to top up existing demand systems that are available to them, and they get targeted quite heavily by private enterprise businesses trying to seek the thermal insulation measures for those, those units. Um, often it doesn't cover the entire cost of the grant, and they come to us, and sometimes, you know, and hopefully we can assist them with this policy. Thank you. I mean, there are some very awesome in adults in Pennyu Park homes there. Uh, but there are 171 properties on that site, and there are some that are a bit older, I imagine, a bit. So just keep it. Thank you. Can I just ask uh, the Homes Repairs Assistance Policy, does that come out of the HRA account? No, this is um, separately funded, isn't it? Yeah. So is it, is it a direct, direct stream from government? Uh, sorry, now we've got the capital grant that's always been put in for that. And so we have. It's about £70,000 that we've got allocated that, to that. Um, it doesn't come from uh, government, no. Uh, but what we are looking at doing is we're looking at working with Essex County Council with a view of trying to fund some of these measures because they have, they're quite wide ranging. So, for instance, the GFG and the DFG top up, we know we get the, the, uh, quite a lot of money, £180,000 from the county to fund the uh, disabled facility grant work. But that £30,000 there, that limit, that's not changed for many, many years. So we're looking at a, a top up there to uh, assist with that. Um, now, I think, I'm sure the county would look favourably on us to do that. Um, so we will try and engage them to try and fund, see how this... So we top that up from... U so UDC so yeah, we're looking at topping up that using that funding. From UDC funds. Yeah, but it, it is, the, the principle behind this policy is to change from grant led to a loan, so hopefully, yeah. you know, so ultimately it will recycle back into our... Okay, and, uh, and when we do top it up, is that from HRA or general fund? General, general, general fund. fund. General, general fund. fund. Okay. okay, that's helpful. Any other queries? Councillor Parker. Sorry, just going a bit further down, I, I noticed a disabled gardening service there. Do we li liaise with organisations such as the Papworth Trust? I'm afraid the Papa yeah. Trust closed down oh. all DFG uh, uh, disabled facilities services in Essex as of on the 31st of March. Um, a year to uh, uh, and in fact, county stopped funding gardening services in 2016, so they, they just stopped that completely as soon as the county could do the funding. So um, the the that wasn't the, the guiding service wasn't in the original consultation that's been put in subsequently um, as a result from talking to us with voluntary trust who are looking at different avenues and different ways to engage with um, disabled households to, to, to bring their guidance back into life. So we thought <coughs> as a way of contributing to that effort we would facilitate through credit mechanism. So I, I just wanted to say, and Marcus, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think um, with the Papworth Trust as well, there was other things, and we were finding it was quite difficult to get things done in a timely fashion. Was that that was the case, wasn't it? So um, I think taking some of this stuff in ourselves actually does improve the service that our um, residents get. 
I believe. Uh, and you talked about some aspects of the voluntary sector, and I think we may want Council Ranger to look at um, you know, our involvement with some of the gardening voluntary groups as well. Okay, well, thank you very much. So, don't you any other questions? I've got one more to come, but before I do that, um, can I thank you and your colleagues for two excellent strategy papers? Um, they've been very well put together, and I think show the, uh, you know, the compassion and the thought that this council was giving to a very important area. My final question for Chancellor Redfern is page 99. How this and indeed the last paper um, impacts on the relevance test? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that councillor role. If you'd asked me beforehand, I would have found out for you. It was a bit of a curveball, that one. Um, yeah, as well, I was, as I was reading these, these papers, uh, I hadn't realised that we did a relevance test on everything, but I do know that now. But uh, perhaps that's for offline. But um, okay. Oh, well, thank I, you anyway. For I those do two bear a grudge. Bear that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you for those two good papers. Thank you, Mr. Watts. Thanks very much. Okay, item 10 uh, Uttleford Health and Wellbeing Strategy. Did we approve? I beg your pardon. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so caught up in my own smartness. Um, so uh, we've read out uh, the recommendation and we've had it seconded. Those in favour? Carried unanimously. Thank you. Item 10. Articles for Health and Wellbeing Strategy. Councillor Ranger. Thank you, Leader. Before we start, could I ask uh, Faye Butler, please, to join us at the table because Thank she'll be able to answer any questions um, and Lewis as well. No, Fiona's, Fiona's quite content where she is. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, uh, colleagues, I'd like to record my thanks to Councillor Leslie Wells, my predecessor in this portfolio, for her work over the past two years of which this health and welfare strategy was a part. Public health principles are aimed at preventing disease, prolonging life and promoting health and well-being through organised collectivism and supported informed choices of society, organisations, communities and individuals. It's recognised that in order to achieve the best possible health and well-being outcomes for our local residents, a wide range of individuals and professionals need to work together. The Applesworth Health and Wellbeing Strategy is a partnership strategy which has been created on behalf of the Applesworth Health and Wellbeing Board. The board is one of the four groups that feed into the local strategic partnership. The Health and Wellbeing Board consists of council members and officers and representatives from a wide range of partner organisations including Essex Fire and Rescue Service, the voluntary sector, West Essex CCG, Essex County Council Public Health and the Active Essex Networks. On Tuesday evening, I chaired my first meeting of Active Hutterston. The core priorities and principles as set out within this strategy provide a direction for the, for the board. These priorities focus on a range of related public health issues which are supported by evidence as set out within the Cabinet report. The strategy and subsequently <coughs> the Health and Wellbeing Board focuses on preventative health and it is acknowledged that work that is undertaken to address each priority will require long-term commitment, monitoring and evaluation from those involved. As such, and as a result of co-producing this strategy with the Health and Wellbeing Board, different partner organisations have agreed to lead on each priority. The Council has its own role to play within the Health and Wellbeing Agenda. 
many people who do not traditionally perceive themselves as delivering public health within their core business work streams, such as those in housing, provision, education and economic development, have a crucial role through their work on the underlying determinants of health. This is also demonstrated within the private sector housing strategy and subsequent policies that have been presented here this evening. Furthermore, through its communities and health improvement function, the Council will support this agenda as a key partner and will assist with the enablement and facilitation of planned initiatives. This strategy has initiated the direction by setting the priorities. This will enable lead partners to generate viable delivery mechanisms to work towards agreed outcomes and I would request that Cabinet approve the recommendation in paragraph of the report. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do I have a seconder? Councillor Redfern. Questions from the floor? Yes. Councillor Light. Thank you, Chair. Um, yes, sir. I welcome uh, the Health and Wellbeing Board. Um, it's very important to keep active all ages and uh, for in, in all ways. Um, just a couple of points. I'd like to suggest that the Youth Council uh, that has been set up is involved in this, um, perhaps uh, to form a working group to put forward the voice of young people, what they see that they would need uh, for their own health and well-being, um, or to interact with them in some way. And the second point is that the Youth uh, Council have set up a working group to look at mental health in schools, and I think that's, that's a very important issue and they will report back and um, I'll be encouraging them to bring this to the council. Thank you. Did you want to respond? Yes, I, I, I would. Thank you, uh, Leader. Um, yes, those two good points there, Councillor Wright. Thank you. Um, in, in terms of interacting with the um, youth on the health and wellbeing strategy, I believe we can probably best do that through the Active Uppsford Network which is <coughs> spread right across the district and will be in four subdivisions, Active, Dunmo, Stansted, Sacramento and Patchett. So um, I think we can there get the youth in at an early stage in so that as they lead on, as they become older, we're obviously well practised in all the preventative stuff that they, they should be doing. And this, that covers the support bit of it. In terms of the, the well-being, the mental health aspect, do we have a view on how they're connecting, young people are connecting into that? Yes, I think I think there's certainly a lot of overlap. I think that with mental health and wellbeing, we've, we've recognised that it's really important that we certainly consider that with every piece of work that we do do with partnership. Um, and with youth, I think certainly it would be something, and so by um, recognising that actually we, we build that relationship with them. It, there's a very good model in Epping. Their youth group look particularly closely at uh, mental illness and, and I think to a certain extent bullying as well. Uh, and and it's, you know, it, it's, it's been a good piece of work with some quite interesting results, so I very much encourage that. Councillor Redfern. Um. We, um, the meeting that Barbara and I were at, oh, I'm getting confused with it, it's been at every, was it Tuesday evening? Yeah, um, which obviously um, Councillor Lemon is the chairman of, and he was going to actually invite um, Councillor Ranger to come along because these points did come up at that, 
that meeting how we could um, interact. Um, so I think um, you will get a call from him to ask you to come to that meeting because that did feed into all of these things that Council Light has just brought up. Everyone has joined the table. Do you wish to speak? <laughs> Is that all right? Can I just put this? Yeah. Sorry, thank yes, you. Yes, thank you, Lisa. Uh, really, just to say that. Um, the Youth Council, John Starr, Drug and our Community Development Officer is working quite um, closely with and John is part of the team, with, of the community's team which Faye is also part of and we are discussing this all of the time, in fact there was a conversation before we came here about mental health and well-being with young people and it is something that we are engaging with education at this moment in time to see where we fit in and how we can do things with them. So it will be through everything that we do. We join up on a regular basis. So everything will be spoken about and taken forward. So it's really good to hear that how the thing is becoming more holistic and iterative and joined up. So I commend you for that. So we need you know, a lot more of that because each piece is, is, is a cog in a giant wheel and it's, it's, it's all going to work that we can find the solution. Councillor Parker. Yeah, um, I did read this last time around, I haven't read it in detail this time around, but one thing um, I find it comes up quite frequently is um, a lot of studies have done is, is the fear of crime and whatever, especially for people living in fairly isolated locations. Um, one thing, which is very cheap and very simple, we made help people feel more secure in their homes, is just having a chain on the front door. I'm aware that there is one group of men in sheds that's actually taken their home as a project um, somewhere in the county. So they've got a very small pot of money because the chain and the bolt doesn't cost very much money. And they actually are going out to the community, perhaps with, in conjunction with the fire service, who tend to identify vulnerable people when they might have spoken arms. And then a bolt onto that is a chain on the front door, so somebody has slightly more confidence to go to the door and feel a little safer in their own home. And I think by feeling safer, the, 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 there is a reduced fear of crime. Yes, uh, thank you, Councillor Parker. Uh, uh, that's one of the areas that um, our lead partner, the Essex Fire and Rescue Service, will be undertaking. But I'll sort of take all those thoughts forward to the, um, the CSP um, in the next meeting with them. It's Lewis. Thank you. Yeah, I was just about to, to add as well. Um, a lot of the priorities have been set according to the evidence based on the data from public health input. And um, there's a distinction to be made between the health and well-being agenda and the community safety partnership agenda, and that will probably best fit with the community safety partnership. Yeah. My recommendation. Yeah. Can I just say the community safety partnership are working with Essex Fire and Rescue, and that is the sort of um, project that we're doing with them. So we are identifying those vulnerable and those in fear, and that's the type of work that we are carrying out. So that is happening now under the Community Safety Partnership though. Great, so I, I really commend that uh, diagram on page 111. Four, five priorities clearly laid out, uh, linking in with five principles um, in terms of the way uh, that uh, perhaps uh, some of the priorities um, happen. And, uh, and then, and then you, you, you explain that throughout the paper. So yeah, I think it's really great stuff this. Um, and I commend you for the paper. Um, I guess you, you, there's some big subjects in this, each one of them, uh, in terms of um, looking at the, uh, the, 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 the principles. 
um, and um, in terms of you know, reducing a, 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 a obesity and ageing well and increasing physical activity and uh, combating rural social, these are all, and we've touched on some of these subjects already this evening, so clearly the next bit of this is how do we deliver it? And what are the KPIs so that, not just the cabinet to be fair, but the community as a whole uh, can know that we're moving in the right direction. So I think this lays out uh, the point really well, but then we need just to, to know that some of our initiatives are working, maybe some of them are less successful. So how do we re-gear re, re that? I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that yet. Councillor Dean, you want to come in? I'll come in. Let, let uh, Faith answer that, and Lords, if she's got a response, and then we'll, we'll come back to you. Um. Yes, absolutely, and I think I think this initiative just gave the board a purpose to start with, and, and also ownership over the different priorities. And as you rightly pointed out, all of these priorities are really quite big, challenging subjects for us, and we certainly, as a council, can't deliver on all of these. Um, but we can certainly add to each and every one of them. Um, so I think, in terms of delivery and in terms of um, impact and how we measure that, we'll certainly review that through the groups that we have um, established that feed into our board and we will establish, have really already established five subgroups to lead on each of those priorities, led by partners. We are a partner at the table at the end of the day, we will be leading on one of those and contributing to the other four as well. Um, and so within those subgroups there will be um, advice from us and from um, other health representatives around the table as well to guide the conversation and to, um, to advise on where we may be able to um, impact the most and prioritise within the district um, and how we measure that as well um, and how to effectively measure that because with some of these it can be quite difficult to provide evidence to yeah. say we have achieved this and it's not always about ticking boxes no. with particularly with this work so I think that priority one reducing overweight and obesity that's a, that's a very long term goal and it's very much a preventative gender um, and I think by starting to address it and getting different partners around the table involved in schools as well I think that's a really essential partner um, we can establish small projects that we can, we can undertake um, and, and go from there. But I think outcomes will definitely be essential uh, to guide us and to, to make sure that we're actually doing something um, that, that is going to get to... Yeah, okay, thanks. Thank you, I just wanted to emphasise, um, I think in terms of the outcomes and KPIs, that's absolutely key. Um, but a lot of that will come from collective ownership from our partners. And a lot of our partners are main providers, commission services. They're in the best place to have the intelligence and to know the methods in which to combat or make a difference to a lot of these priorities. So, for example, Essex County Council, um, there's Commissioner there, Adrian Coggins, who leads on the obesity agenda. He will be, able to be in a good position to advise how we might go about setting those KPIs. Um, and they will have intelligence that we don't necessarily have. There's a lot around, although we can access data from Public Health England, our service providers have intelligence, they have their own outcomes, their own measures that they will be working to, and it's really about them sharing that information and then collectively as a group, um, those uh, 
um, delivery groups to agree what those outcomes and KPIs are and have collective ownership over them. Great. Thanks for that. Thank you. Thank you. Councillor Dean. My question was going to be about uh, measurement of outputs, outcomes, and uh, clearly it's, you started to answer it. So from that point of view, just to say that you know, I, I welcome this report, and there's a lot of, as you said, Chairman, a lot of very important and, and heavy stuff in here, and, and it does need to be measured, and I know it's difficult, and therefore um, we must bide our time on that. And from the point of view of members of the, the council, um, this is sitting under the, as far as we're concerned, under the auspices of the futures, and to many members, that's something out there that they don't know much about. Uh, uh, I think it was earlier that Councillor Redfern, on the earlier paper about housing and uh, fuel poverty and, and, and so on, um, did suggest that we ought to inform members of the council more, because I, I do think it's important in whatever ward they represent, whether it's out, out in the north or further south. Um, and I'm thinking maybe we could have snippets at a regular interval in the members' bulletin or something, rather than here's a big report, spend two hours reading it, yeah, but, but, but drawing it out. Because, because a lot of, it, it's very easy to, to not be aware and therefore not to be looking out for problems with it within one's own ward. But by having this sort of stuff drip fed, I think it, it raises the awareness of those of us who are members of the council and so we can do whatever we can to assist the holding going forward. But I look forward to uh, outcomes from this and, and, uh, and that obviously will provide focus for prioritisation of resources and uh, etc. The work. And the scrutiny so committee might want to sort of see how things are going as, as might um, um, well, yes, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is actually on the list of scrutiny as something that we might want to look at at a future date. Okay, yeah. so I'll ask uh, Councillor Redfern, uh, working with officers, including uh, our, our communication officer, just in terms of how we're going to get this message across. We're certainly going to do something about the launch of the Thank paper, you. but uh, <laughs> I, I think it uh, goes beyond that. Anybody else wish to comment? Okay, I remind you of the... Recommendation. Uh, the recommendation. Uh, Cabinet is requested to endorse and support the Athelsford Health and Wellbeing Strategy attached as Appendix A to this report to be implemented with effect from the 1st of June 2017. Those in favour? Carried unanimously. We got a seconder, Councillor Redfern was the seconder. So that's, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Excellent report. Thank you. Um, that brings us to item 11. Uh, to follow you, you had a supplementary paper uh, for this item, which is the disposal of land at the Vision Avenue, Saffron Ward, and I call upon Councillor Howell. Thank you, Leader. Uh, the recommendation is that Cabinet uh, approve the disposal of a piece of land known as Asset Number 24, land at Division Avenue in Saffron Ward, and that the authorities delegated to the Director of Finance and Corporate Services to agree the terms of any such sale. Um, the background to this is set out in, in, the, in the paper in front of councillors this evening. Um, there's a map which shows the piece of land in question, marked in red. Um, it abuts and is adjacent to the former Ridgeons building uh, supply site. Um, and prior to the approved development of the former Ridgeons site, uh, the land was effectively uh, landlocked. Uh, 
Richard Sykes has given the council the opportunity to consider the future use of this land and the potential for it to be sold and incorporated into the adjoining mixed-use development site. The, the original site you'll be aware of is delivering a combination of new homes, spaces for business and also open space. Um, various ecological and topographical surveys have been undertaken. They've confirmed that the land is suitable for sale as housing land. Uh, the leader and a senior officer on the 12th of May met with a number of local residents and it was agreed that the um, existing tree line would be retained um, as it forms a, an appropriate and important screening uh, and at the appropriate time a conversation will be held with the town council perhaps about uh, retaining and transferring that piece of land, uh, that, uh, that strip of, of, of screening land. So the recommendation in front of you is to approve the sale um, and to appoint the uh, Director of Finance and Corporate Services. Thank you. Thank you. Do I have a seconder? Councillor Barker. Any comments? Councillor Light. Thank you, Chair. Um, I object to this on behalf of Southern Walden residents and uh, all the residents. Um, it's important that there are... Sorry, all the residents of Southern Walden. Southern Every resident. Every single resident. We need green lines. We need open spaces. And um, I understand that there was, this has been ongoing for uh, some years, that um, it was seen as an ecological, as a wildlife site. And I think it was, uh, we wanted to see it as a nature reserve. So my request to Cabinet would be to let it become a nature reserve, to maintain that open space of which there is very little in Southern Walden, um, and to offer it to the town council. So, have you visited this site? I know where it is. Have you visited the site? Because at the moment it is an impenetrable. Well, I suppose jungle is the best word for it. Now, to be fair, that is what a number of um, nature lovers like about it. But it is not a public space. Uh, it is a space for uh, some wild animals. Unfortunately, those include rats. So for as many local residents who want to retain it, there are those who are very frustrated by rats. And Mr. Webb spends a lot of his time calling in the rat catcher, normally twice a year. Um, to deal with that. Uh, as, as, as was said, um, I, I did see the residents, I, it's for the residents for, to speak for themselves, but we are retaining a key element of woodland and at the moment the residents uh, want that to remain as it is, which is fairly impenetrable, but the theory being that that's what the, uh, the animals like. Um, as, 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 a, as a bridge between um, the bottom of their gardens and indeed the new development. The new development will bring benefit, it will bring uh, a number of uh, social houses uh, and whilst I cannot uh, commit to this because it's not within my power, I am personally campaigning to have a pedestrian crossing on Ashton Road and it may be that we use some of the funds through the, a, a potential arrangement uh, for that, but that is all to be confirmed. So as I say, I make no commitment around that. Uh, so there will be there will be community benefit, um, and um, and as I say, we, we, we had a, a, a 
a positive meeting with the immediate residents. I'm surprised when you're speaking on behalf of every resident in Saffron Ward, and I don't think many of them even know the land exists, let alone have strong feelings about it. But the immediate residents, uh, I've described the position. So um, we hear your objection. Any other comments? Councillor Howell. Oh, well, I'm just going to add to those comments. We routinely bring items such as this to Cabinet. We have a substantial asset bank of uh, pieces of land, many of which have no obvious economic value. And for many years, this piece of land was landlocked and unsuitable for development, and it was not possible to get access to it. But I'm very conscious that I have a responsibility to represent all of the residents of Uffelsford. Um, and as the finance member, I think the residents of Uffelsford would be surprised if we were to miss an opportunity or not to take up an opportunity. And a piece, a piece of land lost its landlocked status. And I would point out to um, Councillor Light that on the map, immediately to the north, are open fields. Um, so when we talk about it being an open space, it's <coughs> sorry, uh, it, it, it abuts a very extensive area of open space to the north, which are all fields as far as Ashton, I think, probably two miles to the north. There's nothing much between there um, and, and the village of Ashton, other than fields and woods and the like. So <coughs> I think we have a responsibility when opportunities like this come along to talk to local residents. As the leader said, he's spoken with them. There is clearly a concern that we, we retain a, a band of land to act as a screen. Uh, but I think it would be not in the interests of the residents of Uffelsford if we were not to look at this opportunity and take this opportunity up. And just to add, and again, it, it's, it's, it's nothing concrete, but I did, out of courtesy, inform uh, the local member, um, Councillor Freeman, the current mayor of Saffron Warden, uh, that I had met the, um, the local residents and that Saffron Warden Clip Town Council might be interested expressed that they might, but obviously no firm commitment that they're subject to further negotiation. And he was going to inform the other um, member, Councillor Asker, so we did go through the courtesy of letting the local member know. So uh, hopefully Southern Town Council will be broadly comfortable. Councillor Light. Thank you. Yes, I'd just like to come back on a couple of points here. Um, as, you, as you mentioned, um, conversation with Councillor Freeman, I had one this evening um, as well about this and there is a request that uh, if this goes ahead that a footpath and a cycleway is left so there is some kind of pedestrian access into the other part of the town. Um, I understand that some of the land belongs to the town council. If we're going to, is this correct? Uh, well, the bit that we're talking about is, is, is uh, as on the map at the bottom of uh, the um, Sort of the basis of the triangle, that's where the, the, the maybe six to eight foot um, area of retained woodland would be. As far as other footpaths and, um, and cycle paths, um, I've already mentioned my aspiration for a pedestrian crossing, and obviously that would need to be linked with a footpath, but uh, you know, we can't at this, at this meeting tonight make any firm commitments. But uh, we are obviously uh, looking uh, to create. Um, uh, walking, uh, I, I sense a cycle path will be challenging. But um, anyway, we, we take your point. We, we will we will look at the forms of access through to Divisor Avenue. Mm -hmm. I have a couple other points. One is uh, a point on um, 
we need to be thinking about social value as much as economic value. And I think there are, if you're thinking just of building houses, I appreciate that. We need them, we need um, obviously uh, houses, social housing, etc. I don't dispute that. However, I think we can also consider that there are uh, places, spaces that should be considered of community and social value. Um, so, and open since we've just had uh, a session on that, spoken about health and well being, and it comes very much within that. And my final point. I would make is um, that as a principle, uh, Councillor Howell mentions that we have, uh, UC has many pieces of land, so uh, we have to give some assets, and I would ask that those are considered in principle not just for housing but also for recreational or open space for com the community. Thank you. Certainly on your last point, and we've touched on this at uh, previous meetings actually. Um, uh, it's not just in Saffron Walden, it's, it's uh, throughout the area. Quite a number of developments have been won on appeal, and we are left with a whole hodgepodge of space. Uh, it is difficult to confirm who the actual owner is, and in the end, they become a, a, a bit of a mess, to be honest with you. And uh, I think, as a matter of policy, we are trying to see whether that could be put to better use, because it might have a use, whether it was a green use, a housing use, a car parking use, or any other kind of use. So I think generally we, we accept that point. Councillor Barker. Um, while not wanting to prolong this, the place for that discussion is through the Saffron Walton neighbourhood plan, because they put their plan together and see which areas they think are most important to Saffron Walton. That should be what comes through, and if that's what the public support them in, the public will agree that as a referendum. We will be happy to endorse that. But that's where you need to go. Dumbo's done it, and uh, yeah, thanks to the Saffron Walden next. Okay, I sense we've uh, completed our uh, comments. So you had the recommendation read out to you. Um, and we had a seconder, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, those in favour? Carried unanimously. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, item 12, Alistair, I believe you may have a list, thank you. Yes, um, I think you've got one yourself. It's on behalf of the video. Is there another copy? I, I, if, not, if not, I've just been given one. So. Is there another copy? I haven't got one. Well, I have to get it on here. It doesn't scroll. You'll scroll? That's true, then. So, um, there are, we'll take these, not necessarily in the order in which they will do the representatives on outside bodies 2017 to 18. Those of you who've just received hard copy, they're off the back. Um, now, uh, this is cross-party. Uh, I believe the Liberal Democrats and RFU have been through there. I think they may have made one or two changes. I have made uh, one or two changes, all discussed with the respective members. Lots of hands coming up. Um, <laughs> Councillor Ranger. Thank you, Leader. Um, the Museum Management Working Group. We're not on that one. Oh, we're not. Sorry. So, as far as outside bodies are concerned, Councillor Redfield? Um, yes, please, uh, Chairman. You have on here West Essex Alliance, which um, is me as the um, representative. But as that's 
for economic development, I'm thinking it should be um, Councillor Ryle. You're absolutely right. I thought I'd made that change, so I apologise for that. We did, we did go through that. That is correct. Hopefully you're content with that, Councillor Ryle. Yeah, we, have, we have discussed that group in the past. Anything else? So with that exception, the representatives are approved. Excellent. So I'll now should go back to the other groups and we'll take them as they appear. The Community Achievement Panel, content? Well, can we put our hands up to say I'd like to speak? Uh, Councillor Barker. Um, I'd like to speak, Joe, it's not just about this one, it's about all of them. Some of them say whether they need to, sorry, some of them say whether they need to private and some don't. It's not desperate, but it is desperate in terms of the highways panels, where several highways panels across Essex don't meet in public. Ours happens to meet in public, and I think we should say on each one, some we do, we should say on each one whether these are private or whether these are public, um, because the chair of the highways panel welcomes parishes and other speakers who want to come speak. If we can pick that up at some point, I'd be lucky. We will circulate uh, an update and with that point. Thank you for that. Does the housing board, well it does, um, as far as the museum management working group, I've sat on that council light. There's no reason why the public couldn't come, is there? No. Um, uh, council Ranger. Yes, there needs to be a correction in the right-hand column. Um, the cabinet member is myself. Yeah, there's no museum management working group. Right. Is there any reason why that has to be just four people? Yeah, so it would be Leslie off and Vic on. Oh, it's just on that one. So I will inquire whether we can make that to five members and add Councillor Rowe. Ranger, it does say the cabinet member. So we will increase the uh, number of members to five and add Councillor Ranger. Okay, taking the point about, uh, I will continue my um, look through. I think the only one that obviously wouldn't meet in public would be the community achievement panel. For that. Okay, well we'll look at the individual uh, committees and, um, and, and, and respond to that. Thank you for that. Uh, so in terms of the membership of the Community Achievement Panel, are we content? Yes. Highways Panel, content? The Highways Panel Chairman, I imagine that is the, the make-up. I don't think that the County Council has yet, or the, the new Cabinet members has yet decided how many people will sit on these panels. So if you decide there's only three County members, we don't want three districts. So I don't think that has been determined as yet. Okay. I think there's some discussion about that, isn't there? I think there is. Yeah, I think I heard there was some discussion about that. But hopefully there will be balanced membership. Um, housing Board. Mm. Vacant. Mm. Which party is vacant? I thought I'd filled all mine. Chairman? Yep. Uh, it, I only put one name forward. I thought it was a stampede or a queue at the door to come on to this. Um, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to fill that vacancy, which uh, results from my not putting myself forward. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're putting yourself forward. Yes, I, I, I left my name off. Yeah, I, I, think name forward, I think we've lost the Conservatives on here. There we have, we've got six. What? Okay, well, who's. Yeah, so it's either three, one, or two, two. So I'll leave the other two parties to fight it out. But uh, at the moment, it's Councillor Dean. Planning Policy Working Group, there are no changes. Oh, Museum Management Working Group, we've increased to five and added Councillor Ranger. Uh, refugee Working Group. Sorry, I'm sorry, where are you? Sorry, I'm a refugee worker. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Could you just say refugees? This is a refugees. Yeah, refugees. Uh, yeah, support for refugees as opposed to refugees. Um, okay, Stanford um, staff. Content. There's two on the other side. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> Relief. Okay. Um, uh, waste strategy panel. So the other two. They have got Richard. Does it? Does it have a Richard? Does it meet is the question? Oh, no, only has one chance. So are the Liberal Democrats and residents of Rutherford content with those lists? Yes. You're happy? Yes. So we've made um, two changes and noted that it would stress indicate whether they've meet in public. Otherwise, uh, those in favour? Carried unanimously, which takes us on to item 13, appointment of a representative to the North Essex Parking Partnership, Councillor Riles. <laughs> you have some jobs. I anyway. Appointment of representatives to the West Essex Wellbeing Joint Committee, this will be Councillor Ranger, and I'll act as the second member for the time being. Uh, refugee Working Group to receive a report. Well, Chairman, the Refugee Working Group hasn't met since the last um, Cabinet meeting, um, but I would like to say that I'm feeling fairly grumpy about what's going on, and is it appropriate for me to talk about it here? I'm not really sure, but I think I will anyway. Um, obviously, as you all know, we have taken one um, family, and we are potentially going to take a second family but I'm really disappointed that the um, changes to um, benefits have meant that our one refugee family that we have got hasn't, um, doesn't get their um, housing covered. We have found an alternative way of, of paying for it I believe at the moment. We're being asked to take another family and then it makes you start looking at, ha at what specifying what to, what family you want. Do you want a grandparent, a grandchild, this, that and the other. I'm, I'm, I know it's my own team, but I am absolutely appalled at the way our government is dealing with um, the refugee situation. We should, how can we be put in, put in a situation where, we, where they are losing their 
housing benefit because of changes to um, benefit system. And when an officer phones up to find out what can we do, one of the suggestions is that we do some crowdfunding. And um, I am really am very disappointed and I will be taking this on after the election because I don't know who it's going to be but I just felt that um, everybody should know that, that, that we're not ignoring it um, we do have a situation we have got another property that we, are, we would like to offer um, but I think we will probably have to discuss that and then bring it back to Cabinet I think, I'm looking at Mr Harbour but I'm presuming we have to bring it back to Cabinet because we may be in a position where we wouldn't be collecting the full rent would we have to do that? Or can we... Anyway We'll bring it back. Yeah, we'll, we can bring the, the principal back. Yeah. Of course, the circumstances of a particular family will, will, will yeah. differ, uh, and that's the challenge which we're facing. Mm. So, Councillor Barker. That's side to side. Could I ask that at the next meeting, Cabinet or Council, we have a report on where we are with the people who have been required to vacate bank houses? Um, well, I think actually I gave um, an update at full council about about what was happening with the mag houses because I had had a meeting with um, mag themselves. Um, I can certainly find out from the um, housing team if there's anything anything else. But I, I think we did. I, I do think that we are sorting on that. But Miss Harbour's got something else to say. Yeah, the, um the properties were transferred to a new owner yeah. and the tenants still uh, enjoy the same terms and conditions so there hasn't been an impact as yet and I think we receive uh, a degree of reassurance actually about <coughs> the nature of the, of the landlord and its, its policies and practices which um, hopefully won't result in us being placed with homeless families. Yeah. Okay, thank sorry, you sorry just one more thing on that actually. I can, uh, there, there is um, what we were led to believe at the meeting with MAG, that the, the properties that they have still got are the big listed buildings, um, the high value properties, and I don't, uh, and I'm not sure that they would be appropriate for our housing register anyway. So, but that, I, they do seem to have taken notice of, of us on that. As I say, they did they did attend a meeting with us, and um, I think the officers were reasonably content. But if anything else comes up, obviously we'll report it. So, yes, thank you. So, uh, report by exception on that part of it, but your earlier part, um, mm. very serious matter. So, what, what we understand is that the family in Uttlesford, mm. um, you have managed to deal with the financial um, challenge. Do I understand that correctly? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so, what I suggest that you do is to speak to officers at uh, Essex County Council to work with the portfolio. Who would be the portfolio? I'd, I know who they are. The, the portfolio holder. Well, I, I know who the officers are, and we have obviously we do communicate with them, but I think it's. I've got a feeling I might be sitting next to the portfolio holder. Doesn't this come under communities? Um, it could be communities or it could be housing portfolio property. So let me know which portfolio holder, because it will be a new one from before. Okay. So I strongly recommend you start to build the story together, yeah. and as you say, on June the 9th. Um, that whoever wins the election, mm. um, that it is an item that we wish to take up most strongly. Yeah. On, you know, we'll take it up on behalf of the council.
Okay, uh, the next item. <laughs> the next item is uh, any other items which I consider to be urgent. There aren't any, so I thank the members of the public. Uh, I thank those who are listening, and I thank the cabinet and officers. Uh, good night. Thank you.